Welcome to Season 4, Episode 27 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that is presenting the new dawn of engineering challenges. My name is Melanie, and my co-host and our podcast's resident engineer is Dominic DeJoya. Our guest has over two decades' experience at five large international aerospace companies in three countries, with predominantly engineering lead, quality, technical engineering management, and project management roles, spanning all phases of aircraft and avionic life cycles. She has presented papers at various navigation conferences in the USA and was named one of the 50 leads to watch by the magazine GPS World in 2008. Recipient of the Outstanding Performance in Engineering and Technology Award, Aviation Aerospace Australia, in 2014, she has served as Deputy Chief Engineer on the MRH-90 helicopter and as the Head of Independent Systems Monitoring for Airbus on the rotary wing platforms. Currently, she is the Manager of Engineering Services across all platforms for Airbus in Asia-Pacific. A Fellow of Engineers Australia, she sits on the Women in Aviation Aerospace Australia Committee and QUT and Monash Academic Advisory Boards. Joining Mel and I today on Engineering Heroes is Kathleen Bosley. Kathleen's love for all things flight started when she was pretty young. She was good at maths and science and loved playing with Lego, but was thinking of becoming a marine biologist. Her dad successfully talked her out of that one. Perhaps the biggest influence for Kathleen growing up was she spent a lot of time with her aunt, who was an airline hostess for TAA. So Kathleen would be allowed to travel domestically with her aunt, which back in those days, most families really didn't do. And she had family in the US, so there would be trips overseas as well. Initially, her mind turned towards becoming a pilot. Sounds really weird, but I do love the smell of jet fuel. (laughs) I used to always fight people for the window seat. So I ended up looking at becoming a pilot, but then I went and talked to the Air Force and I've got scoliosis. So then I was like, okay, so math, science, engineering. I just decided that I should have a look at engineering. And my grandfather was actually a civil engineer. So I had a bit of a chat with him about it. So then I was actually going to go to University of New South Wales and do aerospace, but the mechanical, like aeronautical. And then in Brisbane, they kicked off the avionics course in 1992 and I graduated in 91 from school. So it just sort of kind of fell into place. It was good because we were the first course through, but there's kind of advantages and disadvantages. So like advantages was they had heaps of extra funding. So we got to go to the air show. We got to do helicopter lessons in Robertson 22s, which was really cool. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I'm not paying for this. This is great. Um, But then like you'd go to uni and you'd show up to a lecture and it was like the first of the course and you'd have three lecturers show up and go, oh, you're taking it. Oh, no, I thought you were taking it. And you're like, we don't care, just someone teach us something sort of thing. So that was kind of cool. After you finished your degree, what was your first job that you worked on? My first role after university was I got a job out at Amberley at the Air Force Base working on F-111s, which was really cool. And Talking Robinsons and F-111s. Like basically, quite different. You've, you've re- no, but you, you basically ticked two of the coolest boxes you could possibly tick in regards to engineering kind of right out of the box. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it was very cool. And then it was interesting, though, because you kind of – we had an American chief engineer, so it – it was with Rockwell International, and then we got bought out by Boeing pretty quickly. But the American chief engineer was this really big, loud American and <laughs> quite intimidating when you went to meet him. And he basically turned around and told us that you're pretty much spuds and <laughs> you need to just 
start learning stuff. I guess that I kind of took that away and I was like, how can I be a spud? I've just done four years of uni. I've learned all this stuff, yeah. or, you know, <laughs> done all this study. Anyway, so I thought it was a bit harsh. So it was kind of, I look on it now and in reflection, I'm like, how can you turn being a spud into something like potato or gratin or, you know, something a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> exciting. See and grow into a sunflower or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be nicer. So anyway, when I was working there, I um, ended up, I guess my first project, which I won't be able to talk to you about because it was classified, but the second project I worked on was all around electronic warfare upgrades. So what we were doing was the system that was on the aircraft was quite old and then we upgraded it. And then we actually upgraded it again before I left them and went overseas to work. The advantage in in going through that whole process, I, I guess the key things that I got out of it was I got to work with the maintainers. So I was in working with them, coming up with ideas, but actually seeing if it practically could be implemented. So I think that was something that I found invaluable was working with the maintainers hand in hand. And then we also did some cockpit trials. So we had to do, like we create up some mock-ups where we were adding a control unit to the cockpit. And then we had to sit with air crew and we went fit it to the simulator, got their opinions. It's it, There's a joke, a running joke about how you can get five air crew in a room and get 10 opinions. like. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was it was actually really um interesting i did something similar when i worked in the uk as well it's good to get perspectives from both angles obviously the people using the equipment and flying it plus people having to maintain it it's about the whole package and i think that was important for me is to appreciate those different aspects of when you're looking at designs so yeah but after after finishing up there i did four years with them and then i went over to the uk so that company was eventually Boeing, wasn't it? You said it mm-hmm. got bought out by Boeing. Mm-hmm. And where are you now, though? Uh, okay, so I went overseas for like 10 years and did two years in the UK with Raytheon. And then I did um, about six and a half with Honeywell in Florida and then about um, about a year and a half, a little bit over, with Northrop Grumman in San Diego. And then I've been back in Australia now, just hit 10 years with Airbus. And we were Australian Aerospace and then we went through rebadging and then we were, well, we were tied, tied by to Airbus in in Europe. So what sort of thing are you doing for Airbus? Uh, so when I first came back, I was working as a senior avionics systems engineer on the MRH90, so the, the Taipan, which is the replacement for the Blackhawks. And then I progressed into the deputy chief engineer role for MRH. They're up in Oakey, they're in Townsville, and they're also down in Nara at the Navy base. And then we've just, over the last couple of years, at Special Forces, so down in Holsworthy. I did that role for till about end of 2016. And then the regulations for the Defence Force changed into the, what they call Defence Aviation Safety Regulations. And as part of that, some new positions were created. So our whole organisation restructured around that. And I took another role as a Form 4 holder in the independent system monitoring space, so a bit more of a quality role, but overseeing the engineering. And I did that for a couple of years, and then we just had a bit of a reorg about two years ago, and that's when I changed again into um, managing engineering services, which has been really exciting because now I'm actually across MRH, ARH, the Tiger platform as well. Are these all planes? So those are helicopters, sorry. Oh, and helicopters. then So for the Army and the Navy fly some MRHs out of Nara, but the Tigers flown out of Darwin and also in Oki. And then we have fixed wing elements. So we have the, for the Air Force, we have C-130. We also, would, we're doing P-3 down in Edinburgh, but I don't have that part of the team for me. And But I still have 
50 people across those three platforms. So it's been really good because it's interesting to work with the Army and then the Navy and then back with the Air Force because that's kind of what I started with. It's a very military, I mean, I know you've done a lot of other things in the middle, but mm. the the two examples you've done, the beginning and then your current, it's all building planes or helicopters for military. Is that an expectation of when you go into this kind of industry, this part of engineering? Well, it's really interesting because a lot of what I did in terms of work experience was actually commercial and I always thought, oh, I end up working at Qantas. That's yeah. kind of what I thought. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, and I actually did get offered a job with Qantas. So when I was working with Boeing, I went and had an interview in Sydney and it was an interesting interview. But it was it was a good job. It's just like the plane was delayed on the way down. Oh, no. <laughs> the plane delays on the way back. And I was talking to someone on the way back it's and they're like, sign. yeah, they're like, Kathleen, they need you. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was pretty funny. But it just it just turned out actually I was I was better situation was to end up staying in Brisbane for a little bit longer. Because my thing was I really wanted to travel. And because I was actually born in the US, I could work in the US, which I didn't get, but I kind of got there after working for the UK for two years was a bit of a detour. So I was pretty fortunate from that perspective. And my husband's actually an engineer as well. We've worked together and we've not worked together. And yeah, so it's been good that we can travel together and generally both work. I think you can't really go past COVID and all the varying challenges that it has brought, especially more recent times. It's quite interesting if you think, you know, back 12 months, it's just amazing how much has changed. I was sick last week and I couldn't go see the doctor because they said, oh, no, you have to go get a COVID test. So then I go get a COVID test. It comes back negative. I ring up, said, can I come see the doctor now? And they're like, no, we can call you. And I said, well, you can't look at my throat if you call me. So I'd really like to see the doctor. (laughs) They're like, we can give you a car park appointment. I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. (laughs) I'll take it, take it. So anyway, I guess that's just the things that have changed just in general for everyone. From an engineering perspective, for me personally, being a manager of 50 people, it's been quite a challenge with people not having worked remotely or virtually before. So, you know, I've got a couple of people who had tried it, but not very many. And so I guess it's really about how you keep them engaged and maintain motivation and just, you know, deal with that sort of stuff that they're going through. I guess I've had other challenges as well. We had to look at when it was all first un folding, I guess, when we were seeing what was happening in Italy and New York and everything. It was like, okay, what's going to be like for Australia? Are we going to be in the same situation where we have to deal with transiting lots of sick people and how do we clean the MRH in between transits? So we were looking at... MRH? Yeah, sorry, the MRH-90, the Taipan helicopters. So they oh, actually... Okay. You know, they're troop carriers, but basically we can do medivac type as well as, mm-hmm. as a configuration. And it's like, well, okay, if we have to carry people who've been infected, how do you clean it in between missions, I guess, as we would call it? Uh, so there was lots of, you know, talking back with our counterparts in Europe about cleaning protocols and the actual products that we could use. And then, of course, you know, shortages of what those products were and did they meet the Australian standards, because we encounter that and sometimes differences between what chemicals, you know, we think are dangerous versus what Europe thinks are dangerous. So there's a lot of that. So it was quite an interesting exercise and obviously something that we were really motivated to do in a quick timeframe so that we can be ready to support. You're working on the military planes. Are they, are they still running normally or are they also 
being very restricted, like the the commercial flights and such? We're back in April. We had a sort of shutdown with the Tigers sort of stop operating for a little while. But, yeah, as part of that, we were like, okay, how long is it going to be? So there's sort of maintenance to do for a certain period. But if it's going to be longer, then you've got to do more. So, yeah, there's definitely be some around that. But, no, they're pretty much back and operating again now. And then C-130s, yeah, they they haven't stopped at all. And MRH was still going because we thought we were going to need to be supporting medevac-type situations, especially with the peak of covid based on what we'd seen overseas. For me, that's been something front of mind, especially with our linkage back into the broader Airbus in Europe. And I guess even just keeping my team motivated and positive. It's just like, you know, there's no pandemic 101 leadership course that everyone does (laughs) at uni. It's like, you know, kind of like I'm making decisions at the time. I had people who, yeah, were used to working at home, so they were fine. And other people like, I don't even have a place. So they're plugging their laptops into their 60-inch TVs, (laughs) sitting up outside thing. And I mean, you know, everyone's different. Do you find that there there are certain staff members who work from home really easily and others that you've had to basically get them up to speed on how to do it and, and what to do? Yes. And I think what ended up happening was because everyone was, okay, we've got to get, like, I'm, I'm sure most businesses are doing something similar. We had a business continuity plan. So we were, how do we get physical distancing to make sure that we're all safe within the work environment? So people were getting stressed. So I just sent half my team home and then we kind of was, adopted these red and blue team approach. So basically trying to say that if we had one person got infected in the red team then you still have a blue team that can still keep the business going effectively plus you obviously don't want to you try and minimize the infection if it was to happen and luckily we didn't have that but you know that was the strategy and I'm sure most businesses were adopting something similar my whole team got sent home for about three months I feel like it was we didn't go back in the office till July and then we were staggered back on red and blue team So, yeah, a lot of people didn't cope as well. So I started virtual morning teas or afternoon teas, tended to be more afternoon teas, but just to give people information about what's going on, but also just to check in with people. So I was like trying to come up with ideas on how to check in with people. And then I played Scattergrees with my kids. So I got the Scattergrees dice because you know how it's got like all the letters pretty much. except letters, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then (laughs) I don't know what my team were thinking about me, but I'd roll the dice and then pick a letter and then I'd just – pull people's names that started with that letter. So it was also a good test for me to see if I could remember all 50 people <laughs> in my team. So, but yeah, so it was it was actually pretty good to do it that way. And then just more recently I've started, especially with all the lockdown and stuff, and everyone's been a bit sad because everyone had holiday plans. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people had holiday plans that were kind of gone out the window. So I started doing, everyone has to do a virtual background of their favourite holiday destination and then people get to talk about it and explain why it's a favourite. So it's, that's been quite nice. We've done that uh, for the last couple. I've got another one tomorrow, actually. So, but I'm yeah, picking letters. So I don't know what happens. What, I don't know what my next plan is when I when we get through the alphabet <laughs> for that one. But but it's actually been really fun. And I told someone and they were like, uh, and I was like, yeah, some people might feel that way in my team. But it's actually really funny because I overheard some people talking in the coffee room and they're like, oh, I've just got so many favourite places. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll do like a collage. And I'm like, oh, this is good, you know. And it's just nice because I'm, I know people have been struggling, you know, and there's people who 
for different reasons. Like I've got one guy and his family were impacted by the bushfires, you know, at the beginning of the year. Then his girlfriend lost her job with COVID in Brisbane. So then they've moved south and it's just been a lot of stuff going on for him. And then I think his family also were impacted by COVID down south in terms of jobs and stuff. You just have to be kind and cut people a bit of slack. People struggle in different ways and some people are fine. My husband's been working from home for a while, so he's like, it's no different for me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm a bit more extroverted than him. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not sure I like this. And it's interesting to see that difference in people as well because we have one of the guys who works for us and he's been working from home for years and does it so well, absolutely loves it. Whereas we had quite a few people who were where we sort of said, we, you, know, you need to have you working from home. and because they'd lost the connection with the people that they were seeing every day, there was coming to work was basically part of their socialization. They, they got to right. catch up with, they, they were friends, they were friends with the people who they work with. So it was really, they had really hated having um, been moved back home because they lost that, that connection with people that was what sort of got them up and out of bed and you know, they enjoyed coming into work, to work and talking to people. But I suppose it also depends on how you, you shift it. And it was interesting how you were saying with the backgrounds, because one of our clients, they're an architectural firm and every time they're on, they've got one of their projects behind them. So they're kind of running through all of their projects of, of jobs they've done. So you see them go, oh, that's a good one. Where, where's that? And they sort of sit there and they tell you, you know, the story about where the, the project is and what it is. And so it's, it's actually worked in a really good way to to sort of highlight the work that they've done and give you a bit more of an understanding about um, some of the projects that you know, they've, they've got on their books. So I think if you're creative with it, it can be really beneficial. And I, I mean, you know, maybe I'm only hitting only 90%. Maybe I'm being a bit optimistic. I don't know. Maybe only 80, 70% actually enjoy it. But it's like, oh, well, you know. That, and it was funny, actually, last week, the internet was crappy because we were in Brisbane and we were having these massive storms. So things were dropping out. Um, But one guy had a backdrop and he had like a dock and it was really funny because someone behind him in the office was walking past and he looked like he was on the dock bending over, picking a fish up out of the water or something. It was like so weird, but it was really funny. (laughs) I think, you know, everyone had a bit of a laugh about it. And yeah, so it's those sorts of things that I think, you know, it's good to have a little bit of laugh and there's a lot of other crazy stuff that you can't control can be stressing you out. And I agree with you. We had people who were actually asking if they could come in more because we're doing yeah. week on, week off. And I think we're looking at how we do that going forward, more of a giving people flexibility. I guess we were going to close down one of our buildings and um, pull people back into a different building anyway, and this has kind of just accelerated it. And so it's it's about that, being able to work a couple of days of the week in the office as opposed to one week on and one week off. I think that seems to be working better for people. And, yeah, we've got people who work is their social connection, so it's important to take care of that uh, for people. Are you able to plan far out in the future? Like if I said, you know, COVID's all done tomorrow, have you got plans in place on what – the new world would look like or are you kind of playing a wait and see game? No, we've actually got like a new, what I'm calling just a roster and then people are going to have desk buddies and that, you know, some people aren't so keen on that as well. So we've had some challenges with that. But generally speaking, um, most people are on board with it because it offers them um, a level of flexibility. We have some people who live like on the Gold Coast and some people live on the Sunshine Coast. So, you know, commuting every day is not ideal. 
So they're going to take advantage of that and not have that big commute every day. So we just assign desk buddies. Hopefully everyone's okay with who their desk buddy is. <laughs> so the idea is if once COVID has been resolved, you'll still move forward with the desk buddy system and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing in place? Yes. Yeah, so we've got like a minimum of 50% in the office and then we have enough seats to have a few extra. So people who do want to come in a bit more have that option. It's been a bit of a transition, even me personally, because I had an office and just until two weeks ago, and now we've transitioned and I've got a, I've actually was expecting to be out with everyone, which was, I didn't have a problem with, but in terms of the seating actually allocated to my team, there's an office with two seats. So I have a roomie, as I call him (laughs) now, (laughs) but it was pretty funny because I went to all my team leads and everyone who worked for me directly and I said, who wants to be my roomie? And they were all looking at me. I was like, I don't think anyone wants to be my roomie. Uh, It's okay. What are your thoughts on the future of engineering? Mm, So I think um, because I'll focus back on aircraft and that area. So I worked on a UAV when I was in the US. It was a military. Sorry, unmanned air vehicle. So I worked on navigation systems when I was at Honeywell and we did a competition or a bid as part of a proposal for it was interesting there was Northrop Grumman and a Boeing contender anyway I was on the Northrop team and we ended up we collectively won Northrop won to take this aircraft and try and land it autonomously on an aircraft carrier so it's like one of the trickiest things to do so it was it was a really good engineering challenge but I was just thinking about UAVs in general and you know that was back in 2000 and 10 we left and they were doing low speed taxi testing and then they ended up going and landing on the aircraft carrier in 2012 or 2013 so it was a lot of build-up to get to that point because the navy are like we don't want some unmanned air vehicle coming at us and taking out the tower on the aircraft carrier or anything like that so there was a lot of safety case a lot of maths behind it to to prove the the concept with biosimulations etc so anyway but i guess coming back to australia and you can see it's growing and it's a lot more crazy now out there in terms of everyone can pretty much have a drone if they want and run around and fly it wherever they want and spy on your neighbours, I guess, or get packages <laughs> delivered. I mean, it's 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 gone ballistic. So I know there's regulations in place, but I guess that's the stuff that I think, oh, my gosh, you know, it's great. It's just about making sure we've got the right controls in place, I guess, to keep it under wraps. Because even a girl at work told me how drone crashed into her car the other day and just like, what do I do with it? They didn't come and claim it. But you know what I mean? She's like, what do you do with it? And you take it to the police station. You know, it's just. It's, I guess, first world issues now. It's just becoming a more common thing. So I guess I see that that technology more so. And, you know, obviously our Defence Forces are looking at how can they use that sort of capability and protect people. And that was the whole concept is you don't have to have a pilot in the loop. You can be sitting back in your lounge now working from home. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And those so, things aren't easy to fly either. No. So, like. It's no. pretty dangerous if you just sort of hand over the controls to someone for a first go and they're if they're not somewhere where they've got loads of space to um, make a mistake. I've honestly, so, I'm looking down next to us right now. I've got my drone. We know from experience. I've got well, my drone in the box <laughs> and I was flying in the backyard. I'm like, this is not going to end well. It was almost on the roof once and we over the neighbours. We into the neighbours. We almost put it into the pool. Oh, um, my God. So. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm just going to pack that up until I can take it down to the park and learn how to use this thing because it is it is quite tricky. But I can definitely see how that autonomous vehicle, be it 
on the ground or in the air is definitely going to be the next level, I reckon, or or Mm. I I suppose, like, you know, the car replaced the horse and the autonomous replaced the the current car, like it's a stepping stone perhaps. Yes, I think they did a trial where they actually took off the plane and it went and landed. It could be it wasn't carrying passengers, but it was like a commercial airline. They've proven that they can do it. And people have joked about that in the past. Oh, you only really have a pilot in the cockpit for people's confidence, you know, so that they feel comfortable that there's someone in there. And, you know, it's interesting because maybe perceptions will change over time and people will feel comfortable without a pilot in the loop. But I don't know if I necessarily would as a passenger. <laughs> and that's a good yeah. point because I have, I have actually heard FedEx and I don't know if it was FedEx, but those kind of companies that send parcels and stuff, they have autonomous aeroplanes in use. And like they're weird looking things as well. Like they're not, they, I think they look quite different in memory. Mm. I mean, I've got confidence in the systems and stuff. It's just, it's probably, yeah, it's back to that, that confidence. If something went wrong, is, you know, wrong, have yeah. you got the support? And I mean, that's something that when we did do even just the low speed taxi testing, there was engineers for every system. So like I was for the navigation, there was the fuel, the hydraulics, every system had a dedicated engineer watching screens, monitoring what was going on. And then you had the pilot as well. With all these changes that are coming up, what would you say to people who are just starting out in engineering? I think it's important to think about the whole picture. So I guess if you're at the start where you haven't actually specialised yet, think about things like what is it that you actually want to work on? Is it like a particular industry, a particular technology? Is there a specific product? When I was in the States and I got a job with Honeywell, I could have actually worked on the Space Shuttle Health Management Computer, which would have been very cool. But I also Mm. had uh, another job on the table, which was actually the the people who first got me down there, which was working in the navigation business in the defence side of the house. And then that led me down the path of working on the UAV, so the unmanned air vehicle for Northrop Grumman, which was uh, the X-47B, which was the first aircraft to land autonomously on an aircraft carrier. So the uh, technical challenges with that and the opportunities I got with that were amazing. Sometimes I sit here and when I tell my kids I could have worked on the space shuttle, they're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe they think I'm a little crazy, but anyway. Well, no, I like what you're saying is like, don't follow the, the, the shiny new thing. Have a clear picture in your head about what the big picture is and try not to be distracted by the the shiny things on the side that sound cool but at the end of the day may not actually get you where you want to go now just to wrap up is there a piece of engineering that's impressed you uh i got quite a few but i'm going to try and narrow it down so i think what i found was like going back to when i did my thesis uni we were looking at mobile phone what they call a handover in the cell technology like in the cell networks and how to make it more reliable and stuff like that so it's just amazing some of the stuff I was not that I was you know the founder of mobile phones or anything like that but just some of the stuff that we were like oh this would be a challenge and you know now it's just a non-issue and you know like I was talking about like how cool would it be if you could be on a boat in the with Sundays because that was what I was about to do the following week after I handed my thesis in and you could be on your mobile phone talking to your family back on the mainland or whatever and you know that's just a no-brainer now and then I guess you know the advent with the GPS and how cool you know it's everyone's got it now on their phones and you know how, how widely accessible and how things have moved in such a, a great pace you know when I was first exposed to GPS it was when my dad got one for his boat 
back in 92 and even then it was still new. But, you know, I didn't think at that time I'd be integrating a 24-channel GPS receiver for the military into an inertial navigation system. Never crossed my mind. So, you know, that was, it was pretty cool to be involved in stuff like that. And do you have an engineer that you admire? So it's interesting. I've obviously worked with a lot of really smart people along the way. So there's been people that I have admired along the way. But I guess I, it was interesting. I, I kind of reflected on other people past who are known as not necessarily alive anymore. And one that really stuck with me, Grace Murray Hopper. She's the first female mathematician mm-hmm. to receive a PhD from Yale. But what I found really interesting about her work in terms of computers so the term, I don't know if you guys know this, but I found it really interesting, is she joined um, the military and she was released from active duty to uh, work with Harvard and she was working in their lab on these Mark II and Mark III computers. Anyway, while she was there, she found a moth causing problems inside the Mark II and that's where the computer bug came from. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's dorky, but it's funny. So I was just like, wow, you know, she's done some amazing things. But, you know, here's like her legacy living on because everyone talks about <laughs> computer bugs. Like, I mean, my husband's software engineer. He talks about, oh, another bug here. You know, it's just, it's you know, it's pretty cool that <laughs> something you come up with like that, it just becomes a daily term that's that. used. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. A, the first computer bug really was a bug. Exactly. So <laughs> I just thank thought you, that Grace was, for that one. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been uh, great to have a chat to you about all these cool things. And thank you for listening to another episode of Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic Tajoya. You can view this episode's show notes and learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with...